We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Give everybody just a moment to get in and get settled. Just a quick review while everybody's getting there. Last week we started in verse 6 and we talked about the fact that if we're going to be a good servant, a good minister, which minister simply means a servant of Jesus Christ, we're going to uh, teach people the things that God would have them to learn. We're going to remind people. We're going to defend against error. We're going to uh, battle all of those things that Satan throws out at us. And we talked about the fact that if we truly love each other, that's what we want for each other. We want each other to go to heaven. We want to be our brother's keeper. Uh, We want to do all of those things. We talked about the fact that bodily exercise is profitable, but in the end, we're all going to die, no matter how healthy we may be. But godliness, exercising godliness, is profitable for all eternity. It has eternal consequences whether or not we practice godliness. So we, we dealt with that. Uh, we suffer, we labor, we do everything that we do because of the hope that we have. Oh, God has promised heaven. God cannot lie. So therefore, everything that we endure, we do it for that fact, that God has promised that he will see us through. He ends this, uh, this paragraph by saying, these things command and teach. He's saying, don't leave anything out. Hold to it. If we're going to be a, a person of God, then we share the whole counsel of God. We tell the truth, even though sometimes the truth is not popular. Galatians 4.16, Paul said, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? He's, he's trying to encourage Timothy to do all of those things, even though it's not always popular. He's going to tell Timothy in the next book, 2 Timothy, to be instant in season and out of season. Even when people don't want to hear it, you still uh, teach these things. You still uh, love the brethren and you want them uh, to go to heaven, so therefore you continue to do those things. Verse 12 is a very, very popular verse. And a lot of times, verse 12 is a verse that we'll use at uh, maybe a youth rally. You know, it's something that we're wanting to motivate our young people and let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. And we're going to talk about all those things today. But let's talk about it and let's apply it to all of us. Because I assure you, these things that Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to be an example in, that's not just for young people. It's not just for young people at all. In fact, I don't care if you're, you know, 10 or 110. It applies to you. But first off, he says... Let no man despise thy youth. That word despise means to look down upon. Now, sometimes our young people look down upon. Yeah, for a lot of different reasons, and we're going to talk about that. But but let's think about something else here. He says, let no man despise thy youth. You know, every, every bit of the study that I did, it comes always back to the same point. During the Roman time period, people were considered in their childhood up to the age of 18. And from 18 to 40, you were a youth. And then from 40 onward, you're just old. So that's pretty much how they looked at it. So I don't feel old, but I'm old, I guess, if I go by that. But here's the thing. Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Do you realize more than likely Timothy is in his mid to late 30s at this point? You see, we look at this at youth rallies. Timothy's a grown man. Timothy's probably got a family. I, I, I don't know a lot about Timothy, but he's, he's in his mid to late 30s at this point. 
He's been with Paul more than likely for about 15 years working with him. He's not what we call a young man. He's not a teenager anymore. But he still tells him, let no man despise thy youth. Why would somebody despise Timothy? Well, what's he trying to warn him about? Well, sometimes when we look at maybe somebody that we think is younger, we think immediately they're immature, right? They're immature. And maybe some of their ideas, they're just not learned yet through life experience. But, you know, Timothy's in mid to late 30s probably. He's learned more than a lot of people think. Maybe just unseasoned. You know, if a, a young man stands up to preach, a lot of times we'll think that he's, he's unseasoned. He just needs more experience. Maybe we think that, you know, they're, they're emotional and they don't have their, their emotions in check and, and maybe they will act irrationally because they're young. Maybe we think a young man is insecure. When you, a lot of you were younger, were you insecure? Maybe if you were going to stand up and present a lesson or something to someone, were you, are you insecure? Yeah, I can tell you there's been a lot of times I have stood up and, and I've been insecure. Maybe, you know, a young man is intimidated. I, I was speaking at a place the other day, and this is the second time the guy's done it to me, and I know he was joking. But before I'd get up, he'd say, now, he said, don't let it make you nervous that I'm here. I said, brother, that don't bother me, not one bit. That doesn't affect me at all. But sometimes, can a young man be intimidated? Yeah, absolutely. And Paul's telling Timothy, you can't let these, you can't let these things affect your preaching. You can't allow these things to deter you and, and maybe you want to throw your hands up and quit. You know, if someone makes you feel like you're not as important as they are, isn't that sometimes the result that comes from that? You want to quit? You want to give up? I can tell you as a preacher, I've been made to feel like that a lot of times. Sometimes people will say, where'd you go to school? I, I didn't go to school anywhere. I graduated high school. Is that a good, you know, from Red and Springs, that's, that's high, high marks. No, that's not much. But that's about it. Well, then after I tell him that, it's like, I don't want to listen to anything he says then. He doesn't know anything. He's not been to you know, a prestigious, a prestigious, see, I can't even pronounce it right, preaching school. So I don't want to listen to him. But sometimes, honestly, do we not, do we not decide whether or not we're going to listen to what a man has to say a lot of times based upon who he is, how old he is, where his education is from, how much experience has he got? Honestly, don't we do that? Don't we hold some people and, you know, they'll get up and, and, you know, a gospel meeting, and they read two pages worth of a biography about the person of everything that they've done, and then you're like, oh, man, this guy must be good. I've listened to some of that, and I've listened to the preacher, and I'm thinking, hmm, I don't know. Maybe it didn't work. But ultimately, sometimes we base our opinions on things like that. Don't you think Paul knew that? Why is he telling Timothy this? He's telling Timothy this because sometimes in the church, that's how we treat each other. And he says, don't let somebody do you that way. Don't let that deter you uh, from doing what you are supposed to do. Truth is truth. Standing on the truth, it doesn't matter. I have heard people that are 18, 19, 20 years old deliver absolutely magnificent lessons. And I've heard people 70-year-old that 
probably should be sitting down and letting the 18-year-olds do the lesson. You see, truth is truth. And the ability to present that truth comes from God. And he's telling Timothy, don't let anybody despise you. Don't let anybody deter you from doing the things that you know that you can do, that you have the ability to do. He was given that ability by God. He says, use it. All right, let's go on. We may spend the whole class talking about one verse, but that's okay. He says, don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. All right, think about this for a second. You can argue sometimes with what someone says, can't you? Somebody can stand up and they can maybe read a passage of Scripture. They can tell you what they believe that passage of Scripture says, and and, and maybe you can argue that point. You say, well, he's just not learned enough. And and again, we're thinking about Timothy as as a younger man, especially during the time period. But can someone argue with an example that you set? Somebody can say a lot of things about you based upon you standing up and presenting a lesson, but what if you are living a godly life? Well, what's the argument against that? Peter dealt with that a lot. I just talked the book, First and Second Peter. Peter dealt with that a lot, and he says, people's going to speak evil of you because you're doing what's right, but in doing so, they're glorifying God because ultimately they're talking about you for doing what's right. Paul's telling Timothy, don't let anybody despise you. But he says, practice what you're preaching. Live your life in a way that God is going to look down upon you and be pleased with you. And ultimately, people can't argue with that. You know people, all of us know people, and there's a lot of those people in this room. You know people that live a life that is above reproach, don't you? Live a life that is above reproach. You know, we all need to do that. This is not just for a preacher. This is not just for a young man. We are to live a life that everybody sees us. Let your light shine, right? He says, you be an example to the believers. Listen, at this point, he's talking about Christians. He says, Timothy, you be an example to those people that you're around. You know, sometimes we are very concerned with being a good example to the world I'm going to tell you, we need to be an even better example to those in this room right here, to those that are in these other classrooms right here. Because you see, they're watching us more than anybody else. Yes, the world is watching me, but all of you and all of these kids, they're watching me too. And they see me a lot more than the world does, so I've got to be an example to those people. Now he goes on and he says, I want you to be an example to the believers in word, in word. You know, maybe you could say, well, this is talking about Timothy's preaching. Yeah, okay, you can apply it to that, that's fine, but I think it's more than that. I think it's talking primarily about Timothy's interaction with people. The words that uh, he chooses to allow to come out of his mouth. Now, that's a a tough one, isn't it? James chapter 3, the Bible says, No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Would anybody argue with that point? Anybody in here got their tongue mastered? If you do, then uh, inspiration's wrong, right? No man can tame the tongue. Well, well how, do we, how do we do a better job at that? 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Bible says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification, right? Only that which is good to help build somebody up. Don't say corrupt things all the time. Be on guard as to what you say. Colossians 4, verse 16 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, right? That's hard to do, isn't it? Here's the thing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, those things that proceed out of the mouth, somebody tell me where they come from. They come from your heart. So ultimately, what I say is who I really am, right? Ultimately, that's true. If I say kind things, then ultimately my heart is kind. If I say evil things, ultimately my heart is evil. You see, what we put into our heart, that's what comes out of our mouth. And we can all probably relate to this if we're honest. If we are around filthiness over and over and over again, you ever catch yourself saying something you shouldn't say? When you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and then you find yourself, you just talk just like everybody else. You see, so what we put in is what comes out. So we need to be careful about what we're putting in. Uh, Solomon said in Proverbs, Guard thy heart with all diligence, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. I believe that's chapter 4, verse 23. Or maybe that's chapter 23, verse 4. It's one of those two. You can check me. Got dyslexia this morning. Well, why does he say guard your heart? Because, again, exactly what we're talking about now. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you're a preacher of the gospel. You're standing up presenting a message. You're telling people to do all of these things. He says you have got to keep a check on the things that you say, not just when you're in the pulpit, but also when you're react, uh, your interactions with people in everyday life. And that doesn't just apply to the preacher. It applies to all of us. We've got to be an example in our words, in the things that we choose to say, the, the way that we choose to say it. Sometimes our words may be fine, but our tone may be off. Any of you men ever got in trouble because you said the right thing, but you said it in the wrong way? My wife's not here. I can tell you, I get in trouble for that all the time. You know, I, I, what I said was okay, but I didn't say it very nicely, apparently. So, you see, my words can get me in a lot of trouble, and, and I've got to be careful about that. Proverbs 25, verse 11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Isn't that true? Have you ever been in a place in your life that, that you're struggling? Maybe it was, you know, you were grieving over death or sickness, whatever it may be, and somebody has the right thing to say to you. What does that do for you? It helps, doesn't it? But what if somebody comes and they just say something off the cuff? You ever been grieving and... You know, somebody comes up and, and, I mean, ultimately, I think they're trying to say the right thing, but what they said was just, you wish they'd just been quiet, right? You see, a word fitly spoken, that's what's important. That's why God said it's like apples of gold and pictures of silver. It is a beautiful, a valuable thing. So Paul told Timothy, you be an example in words. You be careful about what you say. He goes on and he says, you be an example in conduct. Philippians 1 verse 27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, 
that whether I am present or absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast with one spirit serving the Lord. One mind, one spirit serving the Lord. Your conduct, your conversation, your, your manner of life. It's, and I've told you guys this before. The idea comes from a balancing scales. And, and on this side of the scales, you've got you. And on this side of the scales, you've got the Bible. And, and you're trying to make those things balance out. So ultimately, your conduct, your manner of life is trying to measure up to the Bible. And he says, Timothy, you've got to be an example in your conduct. Again, we've already said Jesus says to let our light shine before men. It's talking about just our daily lives. When you go out day to day, he says, you be an example in the way that you conduct yourselves. Whether it be in business, whether it be in school, whether it be you know, at your job, at the grocery store, it doesn't matter. He says, you need to be a person that has a good report amongst people throughout the world. You know, an elder, one of the qualifications is he must have a good report of them which are without. Doesn't that apply to all of us? If everybody on the outside of the church thinks I'm a heathen, am I, am I a faithful Christian? If my manner of life in no shape, form, or fashion measures up to the Bible, you know, the, Bible, the Bible's always going to be up here, and I'm never going to quite measure up, but if, if the scales are just complete opposites, don't people know that? How am I being an example to that person if my manner of life, if my daily living isn't coming close to the Bible? Am I ever going to win that person? No. No, you see, so Paul tells Timothy, don't let anybody despise you, but you live your life in this way, and they won't be able to. Because again, you can't argue with example. He says, be an example in love. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, the Bible says, let love be without, the King James says, dissimulation. Bore that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. The New King James says, let love be without hypocrisy. If I'm going to be an example in love, it can't be hypocritical. Sometimes our love is hypocritical, isn't it? Sometimes we say the right things. Go back to that first one. You know, be an example in work. Sometimes we say the right things. We say loving things. We say things that, you know, are, are maybe meant with good intentions, but ultimately we don't follow up any of it. Let love be without hypocrisy. We tell each other we love each other. We tell each other we want to help each other. But ultimately, is that true? I can say the right things, but if it's not backed up by the proper motivation, what good is it? The Apostle Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses, he says he can do all these amazing things, but if he doesn't have love, it's what? Useless. Absolutely useless. Because he says love suffers long and is kind, is not envious, and not, not boastful. He goes on to talk about all of these things that love does. And, and I preached a sermon one time, and, and you can do this for yourself. Go home and be, open up 1 Corinthians 13. And begin at verse 4, and when it says love suffers long, every time the word love is there, just replace that with your name. And think about it. Because ultimately the Bible says that I, I, I'm to, a Christian has to love. If I can't love my brethren, then I can't love God, right? That's what John said in 1 John 4. How can we say we love God whom we've not seen and hate our brother whom we have seen? Can't do that. 
So ultimately, I need to be able to open up that chapter and I need to insert my name. I suffer long. I am kind. I, I'm not envious. I, I'm not boastful. You know, I, I'm not all of these things. Can I do that? If I can't, then I'm not being an example in love, you see. And that's, that's difficult. You know, in John chapter 13, Jesus washed the apostles' feet. And he told them to have love one for another, to serve one another. And he says, by this, all men will know who you belong to ultimately. People can look at our lives and they can tell who we belong to. Can you honestly tell the people that love you? Everybody, yeah, I mean, honestly, you could shake your head. Yes, you can tell the people that love you. You can tell the people that are real and genuine. And we all want to be that, ultimately. Or we all should want to be that. You see, love is not bitter. Paul told Timothy, he says, don't let anybody despise your youth. But what if people treated him like that? Could he have been bitter? Could he have been resentful? Could he have been vengeful? Could he have done all of those things? If people mistreated him because he was younger than they thought he should have been to be in the position that he was in. Could he have had those types of attitude? Yes. But those types of attitude, they don't fit in with what love is. He says you cannot do that. He says you can't be a person that's hateful. You can't be a person that's unforgiving. Sometimes, brethren, that's, that's what we are sometimes. We can't be a person that's greedy, covetous, all of those things. Those are the exact opposite of love. I was reading other day, and, and I can't remember who said it now, but it said the being covetous is the most unloving, unchristlike thing that we can possibly be. I never thought about it like that. He gave everything. And he says, if we won't, then that's what covetous means. I want what everybody else has got, and I'm greedy. And that's the most unloving thing that we can possibly be. Those things are, are wake-up calls. He says, be an example in spirit. Spirit. This word here means in our attitudes. All of us, though, we wake up every morning and we've always sunshine and rainbows, right? We've got a great attitude. Not every day. Not every day. Some days we wake up, we call it on the wrong side of the bed, right? And if we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you better watch out that day. You better hope you don't cross me that day, right? He says, you can't be like that. Are there some days you're going to get up and it's just going to be a bad day? You know, I used to work with a guy a long time ago. He would call them Mondays, Blue Mondays. He said, it's another old Blue Monday. You know, everything you touch is going wrong and blah, blah, this. And, and that day you didn't want to be around him. You didn't want to be around him. As a Christian, we can't be like that. As a Christian, we've got to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He, ultimately, he came to this earth, and he became a man, and he was obedient unto death. He had an attitude of service. An attitude of service, and an attitude something we're going to struggle with. As long as we live, an attitude problem is something we're going to struggle with. But it's something that 
Go back to Don's lesson this morning. Count your blessings. If I am a grateful person, my attitude's going to change. It's going to change. I'm going to be a person that, that, that is looking on the positive side of life. Sometimes we allow ourselves to get down over so many things, but as a Christian, you got everything, right? As a Christian, you got everything. If you have the hope of eternal life, and you really think about that in the whole scheme of eternity, what else do you need? You know, if we would only think about that every day, having a good attitude would be so much easier. He says we've got to be an example to people with their attitude because people's going to make a judgment on us based upon that very thing. Maybe one interaction. You ever had one interaction with someone and you walked away and you made your mind up about that person over one interaction? Sometimes unfairly. Sometimes very unfairly. But we do that. And maybe it's because that one interaction, one of these things that we're talking about was off. And you say, yeah, but that's unrealistic standard. Maybe it is. But God doesn't call us to be mediocre, does He? He calls us to, to rise above, the, or at least try to rise above these things. Sometimes all we get with people is one interaction. And we've got to be careful uh, that it is a, a good one. He says, be thou an example unto, God, unto the believers in faith. The word faith here means being loyal to God and His Word. It is an idea of being trusty. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. It is somebody that his focus is on God and doing his, his way, doing what He would have us to do. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. We know as Christians that, that we are to walk down the path that the Bible lays out before us. And he says you've got to be an example to people in that type of faith. You've got to be a person that exhibits an unwavering trust in God. I know that's hard. That doesn't come easy. When hard times come, sometimes that trust sometimes wavers a little bit. But a person that, that wavers in his faith, James says he's an unstable man, right? He's an unstable man. He, he's not the man that he needs to be. So quickly, let's get the last one. He says, be an example in purity. Purity, purity is moral excellence. In the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Moral excellence. We live in a society that morality has been dumped in the trash can, ultimately. Morality is, is in, you know, up for interpretation. It's whatever, whoever thinks morality is at that point, that's what it is. But ultimately, if you tie all of this together, morality comes from God. And if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. It doesn't matter if everybody else in the world says it's right. And if everybody says we should accept it, that's not the way it works. You see, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the Bible says, Follow peace and holiness, without which no man may see the Lord. Think about that one for a moment. Follow after peace and holiness, 
Because without that, you can't see God. If I can't live a morally upright life, and that's what holiness would be, to be to act like God, Peter would say it this way, be ye holy, for I am holy. God speaking through the book, through Peter, the inspired writer. If I can't act like God, I can't expect to see him. And if I can't allow other people to see me act like God, then ultimately, I don't need to expect to see him. You see, a lot of times in our lives, we're fine with doing all of those things right here, right? There's not a person in this assembly that has a problem with being an example and, you know, and, and all of these things in word and conduct and in faith and, and, and spirit. Everything, all of that's easy right here. But what about when we leave here? What about tomorrow morning when we, when we get up and we go wherever it is that we're going? That's when these things become difficult. It's easy to be a Christian with Christians. It's hard sometimes to stand up and be God's person when you're amongst the world. But Paul told Timothy, that's what you've got to do. And that's what all of us have got to do. I appreciate your attention.